This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners just like you. If you have the means and you'd like to contribute, click on the link in the show description to go to my supporter page. Once you're there, it's completely up to you how much you'd like to give. There's no minimum and no maximum and no ongoing charges. Enjoy this episode and thanks for listening to The Saturday Quiz. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. there. Welcome to another episode of the Saturday Quiz. My name's John Leary and I'm about to ask my two guests 10 general knowledge quiz questions and hopefully they're going to give me the answers. If making this podcast has taught me anything, it's that the guests who I get on this show, mostly actors and comedians, don't usually have the answers to the sports questions, since the fields of theatre and sport tend to remain somewhat separate. Today's guests, however, come from the show that might just buck that trend. The Ensemble Theatre has recently opened their production of Alone It Stands. Written by the Irish playwright John Breen, it tells the story of the 1978 rugby union match between a tiny team of amateurs from the Munster Rugby Club in Limerick up against the all-conquering New Zealand national side, the All Blacks. The hilarious, moving and heartwarming play has a cast of six who take on all 62 roles including players, wives, fans, both coaches and even the team dog. Two of those cast members join me today. Welcome to the show, Tristan Black and Anthony Telfer. Thanks very much. And um, listen, don't hold your breath on waiting for us to know the answer to sports questions just because no. we're in a show about sport. No. <laughs> a little bit of NBA, I think I'm a fan of. <laughs> oh, unfortunately, unfortunately, the sports question is not an NBA sports question. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. But tell me about Alone It Stands, because it is, I mean, it's a rare thing that theatre is about sport, I guess. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, and I think there's parallels between the spectacle of sport and the theatre of putting something on, and we found those parallels through working as an ensemble, because it's a real ensemble piece, but also mm-hmm. about, like teamwork and how those parallels between sport and theatre really collide, and I think that's what makes this show fun for people to watch it. And it's exhausting for us to do it, but it's also rewarding to get that sort of um, feedback and energy from the audience. Yeah, this yeah. is this is the closest theatre comes to sport. We are <laughs> dripping with sweat. People in the front row, bring your ponchos. Like, it's <laughs> amazing. It's, yeah, it's exhausting. It's hot. It's sweaty. Because you do. Yeah. I mean, you you play a theatrical version of a game of rugby. Definitely. We're making all the shapes. We're doing the running. We're doing the training. We put on the actual game between Munster and the All Blacks from 1978. And it's, wow. it's gruelling for us. Yeah. There's a part where Tristan and I hug and it's just sploshy. Like, I think that's the best way to explain <laughs> a it. A sploshy hug. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. whoever's in the yeah. front row needs to yeah, bring yeah, a poncho. It's a beautiful it's sound. It's something like... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's... How gross. That's, yeah. uh, <laughs> yes. that's, that's disgusting. Wow. 
Anthony, I mean, you're a pretty big fella. What are you like? Six four, like, 120 kilos. Out. That's crazy. <laughs> Did you play rugby when you when you were growing up? I grew up in Melbourne and in, in oh, the northern okay. suburbs, so I played cricket. Uh, did discus, shot put, table tennis. <laughs> table Never had an opportunity. Yeah, I love table tennis. It's so did much you? fun. But I got wow. whooped in all the state finals. Okay. By incredible players, and it was the well, same. You made the state though. Yeah, but the, where I was, I mean, anyone could have made the state team. <laughs> okay. And then just got but walloped. I, I don't associate ta- table tennis really with a sizable human. Like, aren't, aren't the, Agreed. the best Agreed. nations in table tennis, they're all like the Asian nations, right? And they're not that, that move really quickly food. and are really agile across yeah. the smaller space. Definitely. Yeah. I, I was the kid that my older brothers were both tough guys that people went, oh, look out for Taufa. And then they thought I was the adopted one because I just couldn't play sport. <laughs> so that's why I ended up like reading a lot. My dad would go, just go sit in the car and have a read. And so that's what I would do. <laughs> no, while my brothers funny. were awesome at sports. And I was wow. not so. What about you, Tristan? Do you come from a sporting background? Not really. Uh, no, look, the closest. Not really, as in not at all? <laughs> well, the closest I ever came to playing sport was when I was a teenager, I was the ball boy for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. So Get out of town. I, I was at the, really? I was, yeah, yeah. I was at the games, you know, every weekend, and it kept me fit without having to have any particular skill. Wow. Or concussion? Uh, no, no, no yeah. risk of concussion. <laughs> I remember one time... Um, or negligible risk, like yeah. a very small <laughs> risk of concussion. You, can't, you can never say none. No, no. There was always, yeah, some small risk of a ball hitting you in the head. But um, no, I, I remember one match I actually stuffed it up. I was meant to bring a tee out for a kickoff. It was a quarterfinal and they were like, where's the tee? You know, what's going on? And my parents were watching at home and the commentator was like, oh, we're waiting for the ball boys. (laughs) So that's my moment of, that's my greatest moment on the sporting pitch. Mm. That's very funny. That's cool. Wow. Well, long time listeners to this podcast will know that I'm quite a fan of rugby league. So I, I love that story. Now we should tell my listeners that Alone at Stands is on right now until the 2nd of March. And if they want to get tickets, they should head to ensemble.com.au. Should we say what happens in the uh, in the in the football match in the rugby union match? Or I, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's a well yeah, it's a well known game of rugby that was played in 1978. And yeah, what makes it so special? What makes it so special is that it it meant so much to the Irish, and not just to the people who lived in Limerick and Cork and that part of Ireland, but you know it was. Uh, John Breen, the playwright, said, you know, it was quite a dark time for Ireland. You know, Mm -hmm. um, homosexuality, abortion were illegal. Economically, it was a really tricky time. And in the centre of all of this, there's this game that happens between uh, an underdog, a a team of non-professional footballers from a working class town going up against the greatest rugby team in the world. And they won 12-0. In, wow! Um, Tome and Park oh, you even give away the score! My goodness! Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's all out there on Wikipedia. You know, um, right? It's this madcap story where we, between the six of us, we play sixty-two or so characters. 
Um, so we're jumping in, we're playing All Blacks, we're playing Munster players, we're playing Spectators. Uh, someone plays a dog, I play a 13-year-old girl in one scene. It's, it's, um, so we're, we're just sort of vessels wow. for all of these characters to, to put this story together. Yeah, and as Tristan was saying, it was like a time, it was a time before U2, it was a time before Michael Flatley, mm. it was a time before the Irish had won uh, Eurovision. So it was like, it was really dark times of like just hopelessness. What, what so, have they got to celebrate? Exactly. And what, what are they talking about? Kind of hopes mm. and dreams that they have. And so this was a, a catalyst for them having that hope, having that identity as well as, as Irish people. And that there were 14,000 people at the match. Yeah. But also everyone in Ireland says that they, they were there. The that everyone in Ireland was yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Incredible. Wow. Now, as you may know on this podcast, I ask my guests, the very first thing is that I ask them if they have a favourite piece of trivia. Do either of you have a favourite piece of trivia? I've got one. Yeah. Um, so, Loch Ness in Scotland. Yes. You can... F so, the, the world's population is around 8.1 billion people, something like that. Give or take, sure. Give or take. Um, you could fit the world's population in Loch Ness... 13 and a half times over and yet only 260 million people could stand on the surface of the lock so that's the depth of it yeah it's just so oh. vast and so deep that you could wow so you're talking about drowning the earth's population 13 times over yes that's 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 <laughs> that's what the loch ness monster is it's just a scottish guy in a scuba suit <laughs> dragging people down one by one to test this theory. <laughs> Can we fit the whole world's population? Yeah, people are disappearing all around the lock. <laughs> wow. Wow, that that's pretty deep mm. then, I guess. Well, are, are people lying down or are they standing up? On top of each other. It just, mashed, of just other. mashed together. Just, as, as, just you know, mashed. Like a clown car. Okay. Just, if you, as, as any way you can fit them, them. Just shove them in. <laughs> that's, okay. That's an interesting... Uh, I mean, that's an interesting way of... Uh, measuring something is uh yeah that's enormous that's crazy wow what about you anthony do you have a favorite uh, three piece of trivia? countries predominantly speak portuguese which three countries brazil portugal yes yes and i'm gonna say is it something in like southeast asia or the pacific no no it's in the continent of africa oh oh it's a former is Colony. Is it one of the, um, is it one of the guineas or something? No. Nope. No? Which one is it? Angola. Angola, really? Yeah. I love that bit of trivia. Thank you. Wow. That's all good. That How is cool. Good. That is a good piece of trivia. Yeah. I mean, no, no slight on the Loch Ness Monster or the Loch Ness <laughs> yeah, <you're true. laughs> capacity. I love that one as well. How many uh, times could you fit the population of Angola inside Loch Ness? Yeah, that's, that's the question. Yeah. Let's, let's combine. That, that is, <laughs> yeah. Interestingly so enough, that is the first question on the quiz. So <laughs> it's not. I will ask you now the first question of the quiz. Here we go. Question number one. Fashion designer Schiaparelli and the lioness at the centre of the film Born Free share which first name? I think it might be Donatella, just because Lady Gaga. I'm going to go with you because I've got no idea. Isn't Donatella Versace? No, no idea. Okay, Donatella? That is incorrect because you've gone with a different uh, Italian fashion designer <laughs> than the one in the question. 
So Donatella Versace yeah. is a different person to <laughs> Schiaparelli. What? That's my so favourite Sch- piece of trivia for today. <laughs> <laughs> Schiaparelli was an Italian fashion designer whose house of Schiaparelli opened in Paris in the 1930s and put her at the forefront of women's fashion in the pre-war years. Uh, but the more austere fashions of post-war didn't really suit her style, so the Couture House shut down in 1954. But it's current now because the house name was revived about 10 years ago with the label now producing exclusive red carpet gowns for celebrities, most recently Taylor Swift's white Schiaparelli dress with black opera gloves that she wore to the Grammys. Did you see did you see Tay Tay at the Grammys? Not These so much. Definitely two blind spots in my knowledge. <laughs> both Taylor Swift and then designers. <laughs> this, this is why okay. I'm like in a tank top here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well why don't we focus on the second part of the question, which was the lioness at the centre of the film, Born Free. The only cinematic lioness I'm familiar with is Nala from The Lion mm, King. Yeah. Right. So. yeah. Again, not uh, again. You you're coming lioness. up with the the wrong <laughs> the wrong thing. So, Born Free is a 1966 film, and it's a drama based on the true story of a British couple who raise an orphaned lion cub and. Once it's an adult, they determine not to send it to to a zoo, but instead they, you know, release it back into the wild. You may not know the film, but I reckon you're probably familiar with the Academy Award-winning song from that film. Do you know any Born song? Born free. There you go. Yeah, right, that one. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. That's from this film. So... That has got us no closer to knowing what the lion's name is or the first name of this uh, lady. So I'm, I'm assuming it's an Italian name. Well, yeah, kinda. Uh. Kinda. Anthony, you said before that you have kids. Yes. Do you have daughters? I have three sons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but that, I mean, that doesn't cut you out of the the clue that I'm about to give, which is there is a Disney movie uh, in recent years that, uh, well, I'm just going to tell you, Frozen. Frozen. Do you know? The two yeah? girls' names in it and the main protagonists? Yeah. Elsa and Anna. Elsa is the right answer. Very well done. Hey. There we go. So there oh, you go. Elsa. Elsa Schiaparelli is the name of the fashion designer and Elsa was the name of the lion cub in the film Born Free. That's great. Okay. Watch that now. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Question number two. Where would you find Queen Maud Land, Elseworth Land and Wilkes Land? Uh, They sound like fictional places. They, I mean, they could be fictional places. In this regard, they're not. Okay. okay. They're, they're real places that really exist and have really been named these things. Maudlands? I'll tell you that Queen Maudland is named for, obviously, Queen Maud, mm. who was the Queen of Norway. Even though she was the daughter of the Prince and Princess of Wales, 
and married Prince Carl of Denmark. So how'd she end up being Queen of Norway? Well, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So Queen Maudland, Wilkesland, Ellsworthland. Ellsworth. Mm. Um, well, I don't think it's anywhere in the UK. Let's rule that out. Because okay. they, they just don't name stuff like that. Good, yeah, um, good. But you're saying it's in Europe because they've got royal family. But maybe it's not in Europe. Oh, yeah, no. It's. I'll give you. I'll give you that. It's not in Europe. Can I take a like a stab in the dark? Guess. Yeah, go for it. That's what this, this is, is about. This is going to be a wild guess. Can I go Canada? Oh, interesting. No. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, very much incorrect. I'll Great. give you a uh, another clue. In that these these. Places, these lands are all part of the same landmass that portions of it are claimed by countries all over the world. Oh, in Antarctica? Fact, very well done. Oh. That is the right answer. Yeah. Good oh. going. So seven sovereign states, Argentina, Australia, Chile, France, New Zealand, Norway and the United Kingdom have made uh, territorial claims in Antarctica with a whole bunch of other countries making claims that aren't really recognised. Queen Maudland is uh, in a portion of Antarctica that is claimed by Norway. Ellsworthland is the portion of the mainland from which that straggly peninsula bit stretches towards the southern tip of uh, South America. And that is claimed in part by Argentina, Chile and the United Kingdom. But Wilkesland is a large wedge of Australia's Antarctic Territory and it's pretty much directly south of Adelaide. Yep, right. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That's great trivia. That is good Good. I'm, I'm glad you, you think <laughs> that way. And now we know. Yeah. <laughs> and now you know. <laughs> All right, question number three. Which Academy Award-nominated actress's paternal great-grandfather was H. H. Asquith, British Prime Minister from 1908 to 1916? This oh is a multiple choice. Okay. Do you need the I options? Love a multiple choice. Tristan, you want to have a go before the options, or nope? Yeah, okay. go on. I'd love, you, to, hear, you I'd get... love to hear the options. Oh, really? No, ah. throw out some names. Academy Award-nominated. Actress. Correct. Currently living? Currently alive and and working, yes. So award nominated but not award winning necessarily. So that's, that's a, that could be anyone. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna go someone English. Yes. I'm just good, gonna, that's a good start. I'm just gonna go Dame Maggie Smith. Oh, I love it. Nice. It's Incorrect. <laughs> yeah. Here are the uh, options. Was it A, Helena Bottom Carter, oh. B, Emma Thompson, or C, Rachel Weiss? Now, do you know anything about H.H. Uh, Asquith? No. No. The British Prime Minister. He was the last Liberal Party Prime Minister to command a majority government. Uh, but liberal in its truer sense rather mm. than uh, how we call the Liberal Party in Australia. And although the party had been strongly anti-war, he was the Prime Minister at the time Britain declared war on the German Empire on the 4th of August 1914 for World War One. 
right. Um, 1914. And he's the great-great-grandfather of this? He's the great-grandfather. Great-grandfather. Yeah. Um, I want to rule out... I want to rule out Emma Thompson. Yeah, you reckon she's pretty Okay, why are you ruling out Emma Emma Thompson? Just, Just talk me through it. Well, she is the only one of the three to have actually won an Oscar, right? Although not for acting. Very well done. I, li- I like your Train undoing the question she- that way. Because you're right. The The question is, which Academy Award nominated actresses? Nominated. And if it was Emma Thompson, you would say which Academy Award winner? Yeah, very well done. Emma Thompson, exactly right. out of the running. Although she, she, won, she won the Academy for the screenplay of Sense and Sensibility, not for acting. acting. Okay, nice. Okay, I think that Helena Bonham Carter is my front runner for this just because she's got the most, I don't know, she's got the most upper-class vibe out of all of well, them. Well, she's got, she's got a, a, a double-barrel surname. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. like... Yes. No, yeah, you're Bonham. 100% correct. Well done. So well done. her father was Raymond Bonham Carter and he was the son of Sir Morris Bonham Carter and Violet Bonham Carter known until her marriage as Violet Asquith. So he, Sir Morris, her father's father, was H.H. Asquith's principal private secretary to the Prime Minister, and she, Violet, Helena Bonham Carter's dad's mother, was Asquith's daughter. How about that? Ah, That's very cool. That is very cool. It reminds me of a story about Robert Menzies. Oh, yes, the actor Robert Menzies. Menzies, And I said, oh, yeah, isn't that hilarious? Because, you know, like um, Robert Menzies, the great Australian Prime Minister, and he said, yeah, that's my grandfather. And I started laughing. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea that he actually is the grandson of Robert Menzies. And the actor John Howard has no relation to (laughs) John Howard, (laughs) the former (laughs) Prime Minister. (laughs) All right, very well done. It was Helena Bonham Carter. Question number four. Who, starting with M, is the Roman equivalent of the Greek goddess Athena? How's your Roman mythology? Um, Not too flash. (laughs) Well, what was Athena the goddess of? War. Well, not really war. Kind of kind of war that but she shared that more with Ares. Ares mm. is more specifically the god of war. She no. was kind of the god of uh wisdom. I mean yeah, that there's things like battle or or like tactics uh, right. are her kind of her region of influence. I have an inkling mm-hmm. maybe one of the planets. Some other planets. Oh. Oh, no, incorrect. Are you thinking okay. Mars? Yeah. Yeah, no, Mars was the Roman equivalent of Ares. Oh, so the okay. god of war. You're, you're just right. so caught up in war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and get you there another way. This name is also, if, if I'm correct, I haven't actually done my research on this one, but from memory, I think this name was the name of one of the... Like the maybe the mother in Bewitched, you know the uh, Elizabeth Montgomery in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I know Durwood was. <laughs> yeah, good. What, what Darren was called? Darren was the husband. Oh no, I, I was I was wrong. Ah, oh, damn it. Oh, okay. No, but I'm sure there was this. So it's like a witchy type name. 
Yeah, it sort of is, yeah. Her name is... Oh, no, you know what it's from? That's what it's from. It is the first name. Who was the actress that you had a guess at? Uh, rather Maggie than Smith. Maggie yes. Smith. So, this same word... What, her name's not is Maggie, is it? <laughs> the Roman goddess Maggie. Maggie. Smith. It's not Maggie. It's not Maggie, but it is a <laughs> character that she has played in a massive franchise. Minerva. Minerva. Minerva is the right answer. Minerva. Very well done. Minerva is the well Roman equivalent of well the Greek goddess Athena. And you got it, obviously, from Minerva McGonagall being the character that, she, that Maggie Smith played in the Harry Potter movies. Very well done. Well we got there. Well Thank yeah. you for ringing that bell. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm glad it worked. All right, here we go. Question number five. Now, this is the sports question. So it's all hanging on this. Who was recently named the ICC Men's Test Cricketer of the Year for 2023? I'm going to go with the uh, Cri- middle finger cutoff, Pat Cummins. Oh, that is a really good guess. You are very close in that uh, Pat Cummins was the Sir Garfield Sobers Trophy or won the Sir Garfield Sobers Trophy for ICC Men's Cricketer of the Year last year across all forms of the sport. Right. Uh, But not the Test Cricketer of the Year for 2023. Specifically. Hmm. I'll give you another clue. It is an Australian. Virat Kohli? No. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, Last time I checked, Virat Virat, uh, plays for... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, another side. Okay. Okay. Let me tell you this. (laughs) Early last year, this cricketer made his career best score of 195 not out against South Africa. He went on to be the top run getter amongst both teams with 333 runs in four matches versus India in India and likewise finished as the highest run getter in the Ashes series with 496 runs and with a grand total of 1,210 runs was the only player to breach the four-figure mark for test runs in 2023. That man's name is... Usman Khawaja. Very well done. You got it. And a great social commentator as well. Absolutely. Yeah. What a interesting excellent character person he is and good work you got the sports question i love me some cricket (laughs) clearly (laughs) tristan you you stayed uh pretty pretty close i just just left that one with anthony (laughs) (laughs) i i was never going to get the sports question unless it was about ball boying (laughs) then i got you covered yeah all right on that note we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y dot And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. You're listening to The Saturday Quiz. I'm joined today by Tristan Black and Anthony Taufer. We are up to question number six. Pluggers is Australian slang for which clothing item? 
Oh, it's um, thongs. thongs for your feet. It is. That's exactly what it is. Uh, can you tell me why? I think it was the great Tony Locker that played the Sydney Swans. Um, who <laughs> first one? No. <laughs> yeah, there's only one of him. Yeah. Yeah. Is it because this is just a wild guess? Is it because it like sits as a plug in between your big toe and your second toe? Oh, <laughs> close. But it it has to do with that Y shaped bit that goes you know in the thong but it's to do with the the connectors so the the one in in the middle between your two toes and then either side they're essentially plugged those into, holes into the yeah, bottom of your the sole of the thong. into the sole of the thong yeah and there's double pluggers do you know double pluggers oh double <laughs> pluggers <laughs> Uh, for the listeners at home, uh, Anthony has just removed his thong and uh, shown me he's only got single pluggers. Yeah, double pluggers is when they have no, not at the front, but at the back, at the, you know, at the side, they have two plugs that hold it more firmly in place. Right. So you don't, you know, you don't bust a tire when you're flip flopping around. Your heritage is Tongan, right? Yep. Do they have a different name for thongs? Because, you know, in New Zealand... They're jandals. They're jandals. Yeah. Yeah. Is jandals mentioned in the play that you're doing? No, No. because it's set in 78 and it's written by an Irishman. And and they're in Ireland, so they're probably not getting around in jandals. (laughs) I don't think so. Be too cold. In midwinter, yeah. Yeah. I should have asked you that. I... I guess there's a lot of accents that you guys have to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah? Specifically, because it's set in Limerick, we're doing the Limerick accent, uh-huh. which has uh, really screwed around with my mind a bit because I could do a Dublin accent and Limerick is so different. Yeah. We're doing, we're doing Limerick. There's a few characters from Cork, including mm-hmm. some who are posh Cork supporters. Yeah, yeah. And we found this video from 1972 <laughs> that said that Montanotti is is a posh um, part of Cork, and at its most extreme, the accent is like talking with a hot potato in your mouth. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> and yeah, Skylar plays an, an English BBC commentator, and of course, we're you know playing Kiwis all over the shop as and well. And then Tristan also plays like a Welsh referee. Wow. Yeah. Oh, was the referee Welsh? Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you go with that? Can you bust out a decent Welsh accent? Well, I can do the one line that's in the show. <laughs> well, go on then. Which is, um, normal biting, gouging, punching, or swearing you. I love it. Brilliant. <laughs> so good. So good. All right. Question number seven. In song, how old was Janice Ian when she learned the truth? Now, I feel like this one is going to maybe be a little bit outside your knowledge areas because this song was released in 1975 and it it was the second single from singer-songwriter Janice Ian's seventh studio album having released her first album when she was barely 16. I'm just thinking of numbers that have to do with either, you know, growing up or, or mm. coming of well, age. Well, yeah, or- it, it is very much that, that uh, growing up and coming of age. I reckon you probably actually do know this song because it, it, it's very popular. Well, it's been used in a lot of popular the culture Simpsons? things, including The Simpsons. Is it 17? Very well done. How did when you I get there? When I was 17. 
Yeah. Where Homer sings the song about when he was 17 years old. Didn't, he didn't drank Fra- some very good beer. Frank Sinatra did, did a version of that song as well, did he not? Oh my God, he may have. It, yeah, it, he definitely It goes did. like this. The, the lyrics are, I learned the truth at 17 that love was meant for beauty queens and high school girls with clear-skinned smiles who married young and then retired. Okay, that's not the Frank Sinatra one. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're thinking of... When uh, I was 17, 17 yeah. I had a very good... <laughs> oh, no, that is a, that's funny because that is a different song to the one... That's what Homer sings. Yeah, yeah. But and yet this song—that's what I thought it was. <laughs> this song is also used in The Simpsons several times. Right. Very well done. You—you you got there anyway. Thanks to The Simpsons. <laughs> thank, thank you to <laughs> The Simpsons. All right. Question number eight. When spelt out, what alphabetically is the first number between ten and one hundred? When spelt out. Mm. Ten and one hundred. So it'll be an eight. No. Starting with E? Oh, yeah. Because are there any 10s that have B, C, or D? Well, it would have to... It, um, yeah, no, E becomes before F, so... And it would be 18 before... Because AT... Is it 18? It is 18. Very well done. Yeah. yeah. From here on out, the questions just go in uh, numerical order. So... 17 was the last answer, and then 18. 18. And the answer to the next question is 19. It's not, really. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Question number nine, and no, the answer is not 19. Question number nine. A 1931 painting by artist Salvador Dali is titled The Persistence of What? And there's a bonus point for naming which art movement Dali was a proponent of. Well, surrealism is the right answer for the bonus the, point. The bonus yeah. point, but what's the name of the the persistence of what? I have an image of a picture in my brain yeah. of melted clocks. That so is, is it exactly the persistence of time. Oh no, that is the right painting. Okay, but it is something else. Age. What did you say? Age. Yeah. Oh no, but you you're kind of in the right ballpark. Sort of, you know, with both those answers, really. Kind of, not really. I I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Is it it mortality? Like something's coming towards you? Oh, no. Okay. But it does start with M. So you're you're getting there letter by letter. of... So if I'm thinking Melting. (laughs) Melting clocks, yeah. (laughs) Persistence of melting clocks. Melting. Yeah, persistence of. Yeah, he was very, very literal in the way he named his paintings. (laughs) (laughs) As a surrealist. (laughs) It is the retention of information over time. Memory is the right answer. Yeah. That's good. That is, that's a good title. Well done, Dali. Yeah. It's not bad. It's a great title. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's done all right. He has Uh, a sick moustache. He does have it, as you both do currently, which my <laughs> podcast listeners can't see. But uh, Nothing on Dali's moustache. No, nothing on Dali's moustache. That's crazy. We both drew the short straw on the facial hair. The rest of the cast just got a note, like, just keep it as is. Yeah. And then Tristan, bushy moustache, and try to make it look like you've got a bowl cut. And then yeah. Anthony with... Just yeah. letting it grow. And I still have to pick up my kids from school like this, so... <laughs> 
awful. That's what I was thinking of to bring a COVID mask. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Which brings us to the final question. Question number 10. Prince Caspian, the voyage of the dawn treader, and the silver chair are all part of which fantasy novel series? Tristan, you are nodding away. You know the answer to this one. C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. Very well done. My goodness. I had all this information for you and uh, we didn't need a word of it. No, as soon as you said Prince Caspian, I was like, you're there. Yeah. Wow. So, which I'm guessing means that you've read the Chronicles of Narnia? Read them, seen them. Back in the day, I used to work at the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney as a... I'd, I'd do dress ups so I did it for the Harry Potter exhibition I was a w- Hogwarts wizard amazing for a, year, for a year and then shortly following that they had the Chronicles of Narnia exhibition wow and what yeah. did you dress up there I as... dressed up as Edmund one of the um, oh one of one the of kids the ch- one of the kids and I dyed my hair black and it was meant to be temporary and it wasn't and I ended up having to shave my head because this temporary black head, I didn't come out. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Wow. <laughs> that's so funny. Thank you, gentlemen. That, uh, that brings us to the end of the quiz. You did exceedingly well. Did we? Yeah. I mean, this might be the longest episode you've ever recorded <laughs> for all uh, of our thinking time. <laughs> it's not, but uh, oh. you know, it, it is up there. But it has been an absolute pleasure having you both on the show. You are performing in Alone at Stands at the Ensemble Theatre in Sydney. It is on right now until the 2nd of March. Uh, Anthony Taufer, Tristan Black, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you for having us. My absolute pleasure. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to my guests this week, Anthony Taufer and Tristan Black. See them both right now in Alone at Stands at the Ensemble Theatre. I missed it in the moment of recording, but to give her her due, Emma Thompson did win an Academy Award for acting. In fact, her first Oscar was for Best Actress in Howard's End. And for her performance in The Constant Gardener, Rachel Weisz won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. And for those who want to know what episode of The Simpsons the song At 17 was played in, it actually features in three episodes. A streetcar named Marge, Chief of Hearts, and El Vieje Misterioso de Nuestro Yoma, which is the episode where Homer has the spiritual hallucination from eating Chief Wiggum's fiery chili made from Guatemalan insanity peppers. Thanks, as always, to the wonderful Cindy McDonald for writing the questions. This episode was recorded on the land belonging to the Wiradjuri people of the Kulin Nation, with Tristan and Anthony calling in from the lands of the Kamaragold people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their traditions of sharing knowledge and stories for millennia on this land. My name's John Leary and I'll have more questions for you same time next week. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.